day, isn't it? Uh, a lot of us have had a beautiful week even, uh, so this isn't a beginning. New beginnings all around us, of course. Uh, Jeannie's doing a fabulous job as our new bell choir director. A round of applause. Uh, next Sunday, our new uh, director of music begins for Palm Sunday. And Ron, I've even got something for you. That plug you've always wanted, it's there now for your organ and piano lights. It might not be wired yet, but it's on the way, right? Uh, will you join me then as we go to God together in prayer? Let us pray. Uh, Lord, you are our creator, and you make all things new. You take the old and the crusted and you take it and you breathe life into it. You don't write it off, but you give it worth and you give it meaning. We ask that as each of us become crusted and old in so many parts of who we are, no matter what our age, that you will breathe life into us, that you will challenge us to move with your spirit, and that you will give us the courage to let go of and to sacrifice things that do not feed in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, September 22nd of this past year, the headline from USA Today read, iPhone 8 lines were orderly, short. In other words, a snooze. Now this was different if you know anything about the company Apple or any of its iPhone technology. You see, every time they've debuted particularly a new model of an iPhone, people have camped out. People have formed insane lines outside of stores with sleeping bags, and they have waited for hours. Where are the tents? Where are the people camped out overnight? Why the lack of enthusiasm? Within the same article, the only explanation that the writer could come up with is this. The iPhone 8 looks and resembles last year's edition. As a society, we've developed an obsession with petty, superficial details. And, and I will say, it's tempting to write this off as a problem of millennials. I am a millennial, I get blamed for all kinds of stuff. But I will say that age limit, there is none to pettiness. According to the BBC this past December, a mature couple was ordered to sell their London home. Why, you may ask. They had sued their neighbors over three inches of fencing in the backyard. They refused a settlement. They then lost the lawsuit, were ordered to pay $150,000 in their neighbors' legal fees, and the only way they could do that was by selling their home all this over three inches of backyard fencing. The most unimportant things occupy so much of importance in our daily lives. And meanwhile, the most important goes virtually unnoticed. We perceive the world around us in such material terms that we are often blind to any spiritual reality. A favorite theologian of mine, Walter Wink, says that spirit is the capacity to be aware of and responsive to God. Spirit is that part of us beyond just the material. My spirit says there are values more important than a phone or three inches of fence. 
My spirit reminds me that what we do matters more than just to us, matters to God. But this materialism outlaws the divine. If God isn't that momentary focus of my want and of my will, then God is irrelevant, really immaterial, when you get down to it. Our modern material worldview says everything important is on earth. There's no modern concept of heaven. But in the ancient worldview of Jesus' time that you read in a scripture like this one from Ephesians, earth and heaven are connected. Everything in heaven has a counterpart on earth. And, and for this reason, we read in biblical language of demons and dragons, symbols of Roman and earthly power. And when we divorce the heavenly language from the earthly language, we're left with only demons and dragons. We look there, up there, at mystical fairy tale creatures, and we miss the evil right in front of our very faces. To resist evil, we must stop looking for powers up there and look over there. Evil is not a cartoon. It's a force of suffering in real people's lives. And to stop this suffering, to stop this evil, we have to see it. Listen to the exorcism in Mark chapter 1. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him and the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. Now, it's interesting, you know, Jesus did not destroy the unclean spirit. He only forced it out. Why? Demons have an impact only when they are embodied within People, when spiritual and material heaven and earth collide. So it's humans that give evil a true bite. It's humans who are overcome with greed and hatred and pride and prejudice, and it's humans that Jesus calls forward to resist this evil. So how then do we put up a fight? The first hymn today, Onward Christian Soldiers, is full of a lot of imagery of fighting. Marching and banners and battles and armies and foes. Uh, in fact, this hymn almost did not even make it into our current United Methodist hymnal. Many people feel like it's asking for a new round of crusades, massacres of heathens, the wholesale slaughter of people that believe differently than us. Did you know the Salvation Army adopted the hymn Onward Christian Soldiers as its processional hymn. People who run soup kitchens and homeless shelters singing this marching song of a Christian army. Why would they want a holy massacre? They don't. Humble servants envisioning a kingdom of God where even the crippled can march forward to reach Jesus, where even the broken and the shamed are now worthy to serve and to belong. 
And you see, we write off this imagery and we write off this hymn because we think it follows our patterns, our patterns of human aggression and domination. And we think it's this revolutionary coup with some kind of guillotine in waiting and baskets at the ready to catch the severed heads. And we forget something very important. Jesus is not a revolutionary. Jesus is not a revolutionary because he seeks to change not just the rulers, but also the rules. And if we are to be an army, we are led by one who was killed rather than kill others. Our Lord aims to build a kingdom of equality, self-sacrifice, and yes, nonviolence. Jesus doesn't play by our selfish, megalomaniacal, a nice word, by the way, rules. And by the power of God's Spirit, we are called to be an army of misfits, perhaps. An army that will serve and not slaughter our neighbors. But we're still immersed in a culture of the superficial and the petty. Those are my Mondays, probably, folks. Jesus says we have to let go of our desire for more. We can't keep playing the same game in our daily living. We are told it's a dog-eat-dog world, that no one will look out for me but me. Of course, that means if you get in my way or in the way of my interests, I will eat you alive. If I look out for myself, I sure will not look out for you. And that's how the power system of the world works. You know, many people claim things are incompatible with Christian teaching. And then they work to protect only their compatible interests. But the truth is that the power system of the world is incompatible with Christian teaching. To resist this evil, we must die to the powers of the world. Say we won't live it any longer. Ephesians chapter 2 says, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world. Go a different direction. A Jesus direction. What the heck? Why not? His name's on the church anyways, right? In Ephesians, we are presented with these ancient polar opposites. And the gap is wide between Roman vice and Christian virtue. Two very different ways of living. One seeking to hoard this power and the other seeking to share it together and transform the world. We are being transformed daily to fit into God's new creation, an ongoing battle between good and evil, between wholeness and suffering. And choosing this way of Christ requires great interstrength. And we resist evil when we embody Jesus' rules like a suit of armor. And each article of God's armor represents a Christian virtue. The belt of truth. The belt of truth. Getting larger, am I, right? The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. The sword of truth. 
In the face of these symbols, how cowardly our faith is brought to light sometimes. And, and it really may seem like a lackluster iPhone model from the ancient world. This metaphor of a suit of armor. It's a challenge to weather the hardships that come when we truly and faithfully follow Jesus. There is an inner spiritual struggle that takes place when we get closer to God. And this struggle, we are, doubt, we are battered by doubt and, and temptation and distraction, shame, blame, guilt. And we're tempted to strike out in response. But it's not in striking out that we persevere. It's in sticking to Jesus' values within. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. We read this as pretty weak advice. In a dog-eat-dog -dog world, you're going to get eaten if you follow Jesus' words, but that's not what Jesus is saying at all. His message is this. Don't submit, but don't destroy. Offer your other cheek willingly. Make it impossible for them to backhand you. That Roman soldier will have to slap you with the palm of his hand next time. And that side's reserved for people of importance in this empire of power. Strip yourself naked, uh, not here. Strip yourself naked, metaphorically, to pay your debt. Shame the creditor who forces your nakedness, and in so doing, shames only himself. And when that Roman soldier orders you to carry his pack for a mile, Take that load willingly and smile and carry it even further. And then he'll have to ask for your permission when he's ready to go. Please, can I have my pack back? Do not resist an evildoer. Resist the evil notion that you are powerless. Resist the evil notion that you must devalue others to be powerful. Spiritual, personal, and structural evils are disarmed when we refuse to embody them. And it's not easy to live by ancient spiritual values in a modern material world. And indeed, to many, we look like an army of the absurd. But it's because of that absurdity, that refusal to depend on the petty and the material power around us that we saints persevere onward as Christian soldiers, not with a rifle or with a hand grenade, but ready to follow the example of Jesus and lay our lives down for our friends. And in that self-sacrificial love, there truly is great power. Amen.